Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the latest edition of the Eye on the Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined by Dave Matter from the Columbia Bureau, and it's a homecoming edition of the podcast. A lot of folks will be headed to Columbia, Missouri on Saturday to see the Tigers host Ole Miss in what could be, Dave, the first sellout Missouri's had or close to it since going back to 2015 when the when the protests happened and the and the threatened boycott of a game and really a divisive time in Missouri's football past this could represent kind of a uh, a bit of closure for that and and I think it would be a pretty pretty big statement and pretty big win for Jim Sterk and his athletics department to have a full stadium in that renovated house for homecoming this season. Yeah, absolutely. I I think the one thing that could throw a wrench into it are the Washington Nationals. By them winning (laughs) um, their series, now all of a sudden the Cardinals are hosting a championship series game at, what is it, 3 o'clock on Saturday? I'm sure there's some folks that had Tiger tickets that uh, may want to go to that instead or may just choose to watch it. Um, You can can watch both. I mean, you can find a way to do both. You can get to Columbia and still watch the – go to the parade in the morning and watch the Cardinals-Nationals game and then go – over and, and watch the Tigers play Old Miss. But I, I'm curious how that's going to impact the crowd at all. I, I don't think it would impact set ticket sales because I would think most of that is done by now unless they're you know, counting on a big walkout crowd. But I don't think there's a lot of tickets left. So it will be interesting just to see how the, the crowd you know, is, is impacted by that. Yeah, there might be some Cardinal red there mixed in with the with the Ole Miss red, or some folks who might say, hey, I wanted to go to that game, didn't think I could get a ticket. There might be some up for sale if folks are trying sure, to, sure. to shift to the Cardinals game. But regardless, uh, they were close to a sellout um, ticket-wise this week, um, and that's something that is, you know, I think they're pretty excited about. And naturally, just when Missouri gets things rolling and takes care of business against Troy, there are some concerns. It seems like this, this is the way it works for Missouri. Um, very rarely is it smooth sailing, and if it is, then turbulence just seems to be right up ahead. And and they enter this game, Dave, with without their middle linebacker, Cale Garrett, likely out for the rest of the season with a with a torn pectoral muscle and also with some question marks around quarterback Kelly Bryant. We saw him go down Saturday um, with what I think, and, and after watching it, was kind of a late and low shot by a Troy defensive lineman, and, and we were kind of amazed that he got up and walked off, still didn't know what that meant. They say it's a knee sprain, that he's going to be all right. He says he's going to play on Saturday that he was 90% at practice this week. These are two big injuries, so I want to take time to to hit on them both, and then we're going to dive into kind of the challenges that Ole Miss presents Missouri, and it's unique for the situation Missouri's in right now. But let's start with QB1, Kelly Bryant. Um, he says he's he's ready to go for Saturday. Is there any reason to think that there might be some hijinks some play that he might not actually play on Saturday? Well, we've seen this with Barry Odom over the last few years where they're super optimistic on Tuesday. Um, they feel like a guy's going to play for sure. Heck, we've seen it this year with Yasir Durant and ends up being a pregame scratch. Quarterback position, obviously, is is a different one. Uh, in this case, we, we got to talk to Bryant, and you know, I just asked him point blank, do you expect to start? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. The only thing, the only thing that he was getting acclimated to was this knee brace that he's never worn before now that he is wearing on his left leg. Um, you know, the natural question is, will you be able to run the ball? Will you? Will they call designed runs for him? And he didn't seem to think that would be a big deal. Um, and, of course, he doesn't have to be 100% honest there. But all indications from everybody, from Barry Odom to Derek Dooley to Kelly himself, were that he's going to play and that he's going to start. Uh, they, they're talking like they dodged a real bullet here with this injury. 
know, Kelly said it, by the time he got to the locker room, he could he could bend his leg and 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 straighten it out. He felt fine. He he, he just he heard a pop, and anytime you hear a pop, you're scared. Uh, you could see him just scream when when he went down. Uh, so you know, obviously he he was really scared and the coaches were but he he said he felt good once he got to the locker room so we'll see it could all be a smoke screen i don't i don't sense it is in this case otherwise i don't think they would have made him available to the media this week um but we'll see what happens and and i you never you never really know um but all indications are he's gonna play yeah you want to see how he moves around how he stretches the pocket if he if he can tuck and run and Ideally, you'd probably like to have him run as little as possible in this first game back right. if you can avoid it. But, yeah, you're right. The injury looked scary. I mean, it, watching it, there was that traditional twist and then kind of that jump, that hiccup, you know, which is usually, oh, no, this guy is not going to play again the rest of the year. And, and even folks who, you know, diagnosed these things were saying, look, this is this looks like a bad injury. So for them to dodge that is uh, is is pretty good news. I mean, we were in, we were in Columbia on Saturday. We were sitting in the interview room and we were wondering what kind of updates we were going to get on Kelly Bryant. And, you know, as the players came and went, they were all giving positive reviews about Kelly Bryant. And the one thing that stood out in hindsight was that, well, not even in hindsight in the moment was that Kale Garrett was not in that room. He had obviously been requested for interviews. That's what happens when you pick off two passes and return one for a touchdown, kind of continue your, your statement that you are um, the lead candidate for defensive player of the year nationally, I would say, based off what he'd done. And he's nowhere to be found. And the word was at the time that he was getting treatment. He was at, we asked if he was hurt. We were told, no, he's just getting treatment. Well, he was hurt. And the treatment was for a pretty serious injury. He's likely going to be out the rest of the season. Cap tip to you for getting the heads up and, and, and breaking the news. Um, not that you're ever, you know, eager to break a news of an injury like that, but, but you did it a great job with that. Just, this is a, I think it's a really big loss. Um, I don't know if we can correctly put it into words there. And it's not going to take one guy replacing Kale Garrett as much as it's going to take everybody on that defense playing a little bit better within their role to make up for an absence like his. Yeah, I mean, he was he was playing better than anybody. You know, I, I don't watch every game in the SEC, but I don't think anybody was playing defense, playing linebacker like he was, um, racking up the tackles, timely, important tackles, not the cheap kind that are 10 yards downfield, making critical stops. Um, he was the, the quarterback of the defense, constantly shuffling guys around, moving them, adjusting them, making the calls. Um, you know, the interceptions, what's wild about it, you know, he, ha- he has, what, four, I think, three or four, and he could have had probably two or three more. I mean, he was right in position to pick off some other passes that went to somebody else. Um, the big Ronnell Perkins won the week before that he returned 100 yards. Kale Garrett would have caught that if Perkins didn't. So he's been in the right place at the right time. It's maybe once or twice you can say it's a coincidence, but this guy knew where to be all the time, and um, he was such a he was the reason, not the only reason, but the first reason this defense is playing at an elite level here the last four games. So you wonder, okay, you take him out. Um, Obviously, the next guy up, whether that's Cam Wilkins, who's number one on the depth chart, or Jamal Brooks gets some looks there. They've got to play really well, but everybody else has to play better now too. Because what what we don't really know is how many how many plays mistakes by somebody else did Kale Garrett erase because he was there to make the play himself, or how many plays if the ball gets past him, um, can you count on somebody else to make that stop? Also, we you don't really know that because he just cleaned up so many plays that happened in front of him at the time so a huge loss I think it's you know it's one of those emotional losses too because 
your your defense for the first time in years is playing so great. You can look at one guy for a big reason for that. How how do they recover from from a situation like that? He'll be really positive with them, I'm sure. Just knowing him and his his mentality and his approach, you know, he was really close to Barry Odom. Barry Odom's always close to his players, especially those middle linebackers, those guys that he can relate to because it's a position he played. He knows what it's like, how physical, what a grind it can be. Um, but but Barry never had a year like what what Kale's year was shaping up to be. So a big loss there. And man, I know we'll get into this, but really untimely you know timing for this too because here comes Ole Miss with a really potent running game that does some things similar to what Wyoming did when when they ran all over Missouri back in week one yeah hold that thought because I want to ask you first what is the plan for 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 life after Kale Garrett this season uh I thought they might move Bolton over they're not going to do that they're going to make a promotion but this as you said is going to stretch everybody out a little bit more but what's the immediate response to losing Kale Garrett they're going to put Cam Wilkins in, and that's he's listed number one. They talked about him being the star. He is a true sophomore, a guy they really liked last year as a true freshman to the point where he played as a true freshman on special teams. They even moved him in. He played some fullback in some short yard right, situations. That, that tells yeah. you they know he's physical. Um, pretty sharp kid, pretty mature when you talk to him. Um, you know, One of the guys, one of the veteran players this week told me he's a throwback. He's old school. He doesn't wear gloves in practice because he thinks that's like a sign of weakness. <laughs> He wears the old school uh, kind of a not quite a neck roll, but he he just goes about it a little bit differently than the modern player. And I asked him about that. He said, "Yeah, I have to wear gloves in the games to kind of make me, but I don't like to wear them in, in practice. It's just put some tape on my wrist and that's enough." So he's a, he's a bit of a throwback. Um, I don't know if we'll see him on every snap. Jamal Brooks might get in there too and play some. He's a guy's been around the program for a while, but I think a lot does fall on Nick Bolton. Yeah, he's he's not quite in the middle. But they can shift things around where, you know, based on where the alignment is, where the, you know, the the weak and the strong side of the of the alignment is that Bolton is still kind of in the middle. We've seen that before with Garrett, where they were kind of line Garrett up on the edge more so. Um, I, I think Bolton's going to be the guy though that will get the call from the sideline and and translate that to the rest of the defense. He's a really sharp guy. Um, you know, football IQ really high is what coaches say about him all the time. And I think he's quietly having like an All SEC type season too. So. Uh, they're okay there, but everybody has to pick up their pick up the slack because we're not going to see Cam Wilkins get 16 tackles and three interceptions in this next game and force a couple fumbles. It's just it's it's naive to expect him to play at Garrett's level, but that doesn't mean they still can't you know be a functional defense the rest of the year. And he had a good game against Troy. He played more obviously as the game went on and Kale was out. And and yeah. I'll point out this, and it was reminded reminded to me by. Howard Richards, um, after the, the game, after we learned that Kale was out, he said, you know, people forget that it was Kale Garrett who was thrust in the in this place of, of Michael Shear when he got hurt, and that turned out yeah. okay. So not not I mean, that's a lot of expectations, but but you, I mean, these things happen, and you, and you're only as good as as the next man up. So we're gonna find out. But you're, I want to get back to what you said about Ole Miss because we were talking about this before the podcast, and the more I look at these numbers, Dave, the more I go, man. This is not probably the ideal matchup to have after you just lost your your stud uh, middle linebacker and leader of your defense, considering Ole Miss, A, runs the ball a lot, and they're very good at it. They've got multiple guys who have broken big runs this season, um, you know, 50-plus yards. They, I think they broke three just in their last game alone, and they've got a new quarterback. Well, they had a new quarterback to start the season. They've got a new quarterback since then in John Rice Pumley, who – He's fast, Dave. I mean, this dude runs, and, and he's a dual threat, I guess, 
but he's more of a running quarterback. I think it's probably safer to call him that. He has, I think, two touchdowns, one interception, and he's averaging fewer yards per pass attempt than he is yards per carry. He's going to run the football, and if there's if there's if there are open lanes, if they don't have a linebacker who can spy this guy and keep him in check, then they can they're going to risk busting some big plays against this Missouri defense that could be a little bit uh, a little bit misplaced at times because it's without their defensive leader. Yeah, and, and the the name we haven't mentioned yet that some college football fans might not even be aware of is Rich Rodriguez. He's the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss now, his first year there. We know he, he wasn't, you know, didn't have the greatest head coaching resume, whether that was at Michigan or at Arizona, but he had electric offenses with quarterbacks who could chew up defenses um, with the, the misdirection and the zone read and all of those things that he kind of innovated back in the 90s that are staples of everybody's offense now, but he is he is the innovator. So um, he, he seems to have found something here in Plumlee. They've got three different backs, Scotty Phillips, Jerrion Ely, Snoop Connor, who have all taken you know long touchdown runs already this year. Uh, so they don't lean on one guy to carry it 20 times a game. Just in against three Power 5 teams this year, they're averaging close to six yards per carry. And you can say, okay, well, one of those was Vandy. You know who the other two were? Alabama and Cal. Cal's a pretty good defensive team. Uh, so I think this is a legitimately good offense. Now, they're not – they're not really balanced. They're not. They're not a big threat to throw the ball. The receivers. They've got one sophomore receiver who's pretty good, Elijah Moore, but not much else there. And Plumlee hasn't really had to throw a lot yet uh, in a competitive game. And he got blown out. Uh, the Alabama game wasn't all that close. And then last week they didn't have to throw the ball. Uh, so we'll see if Missouri can get him in some third and long situations like they like to when they bring pressure. But this is a this is a test. You know, they they don't run Wyoming's offense but they do some misdirection stuff that is designed to confuse a, a young linebacker, a young um, safety and try to get somebody out of position. So uh, this is a, this is a real test for this, this game for this defense. And especially now that your, your quarterback, or your defense isn't going to be out there. This guy's a former Georgia commit and he's shown up and all the preseason talk about Ole Miss was Matt Corral and what he was going to do. The poor kid takes a shot to the ribs. He can't even get healthy. And now his job's gone. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and I was watch. I just watched. It. Ole Miss has one of those. Uh, I don't know if it's on SEC Network. I watched it online. One of those docu series where they kind of document their their week at a time. Um, and uh, after they beat Vanderbilt, Matt Luke, their head coach, pulled Plumley aside and said, "Hey, great win, first of many." So when you're telling the quarterback that, that's not a great sign that you're going to go back to the guy who was your starter at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and there's a, there's another little story. There are a couple storylines here that I want to hit on Ole Miss was, but first let's go defense. We we mentioned kind of the unique matchup for Missouri defensively, so they've got to stop the ground game. They've got to keep eyes on this quarterback, and they got to make sure that they're not a, they're not exposing weaknesses early in the game that can be taken advantage of because of their linebacker situation. They have not allowed very many big plays especially on the ground since the Wyoming game they've really shored that up and how how can they do that with Kale Garrett out that's something to watch in this game the other one is how well do they protect Kelly um, Ole Miss has some dudes on that defensive line Dave one Benito Jones right at right at the center at, at nose guard and he's causing problems for some of these teams he's getting hands on quarterbacks he's pressuring them he's hitting them um, they've also got some 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 edge rushing coming off of the ends um, they have to try to keep Kelly Bryant off the ground and preferably um, off his legs as much as possible in this game. And then this is a defensive line that if, if the offensive line doesn't show up to play, they could cause some problems for a quarterback with a questionable wheel. 
Yeah, and this is a Missouri O-line in five games. They've started four different combinations. They just they can't seem to find the right group of guys they want, and they're constantly shuffling around. On one hand, you can say, well, you know, they're holding these guys accountable a week at a time. They have to have a good week of practice to be able to start, and that's great. That sounds great, you know, but con- there's something to be said for continuity. You you want to know who the guy you're playing next to is, and you develop some chemistry there. You know, they moved Travor Wallace-Sims, who's been a right guard all his career, to left guard last week, and, you know, I didn't sit and grade the film or anything like that, but, you know, he's the guy that gave up the, the pressure that ended up to yeah. – uh, knocking Kelly Bryant down the ground. So this line has not it has not looked great this year. I mean, it's been good enough for them to be 4-1 and one and, and to be pretty good offensively. But we've seen a lot of penalties. Um, you know, we, we've seen just some play that just doesn't, been as, doesn't look as crisp as we thought it was going to be this year. So, again, another big test for this group. And then the, the kind of the off-the-field storyline, and I'm glad you picked up on that because I don't know that people know how close these guys are. Barry Odom and Matt Luke are, are buddies, man. I mean, they're close friends, as close as you're going to find in the coaching profession. So much so, like, they just chat on the phone. I mean, like you and I do. Like, they just call each other up and say, hey, how's it going? When I was with, at the uh, coach's clinic to do a column on Barry Odom, he gets a call during the thing, and he starts talking to that the guy, hangs up. I thought it was, like, one of his buddies, maybe a family member. It's Matt Luke. They're trying to schedule a dinner, yeah. you know, the next time Barry's down in Memphis. Um, these guys are pals, and, and for a few different reasons. One is their programs have kind of been through some similar things. Barry did not become the head coach of Missouri at the best time to become the head coach of Missouri. They were they were you know kind of saddled with the fallout from the protest. There was kind of a fractured fan base, and um, at the same time, Matt Luke gets the job after the Hugh Freeze fallout. They're hit with a postseason ban. Um, now Barry's playing beneath the postseason ban, hoping it gets overturned. We'll get into that in a minute. But he's hoping it goes away. He's he's talking to Matt about, hey, how'd you deal with this? What'd you tell your players? These guys have a lot of similarities, and they get along really well. Yeah, obviously they have a lot in common with just how they got their job. Um, you know, they had some kind of middling success early, and, and Matt was obviously hampered by – the two-year postseason ban, but it's come out of it, I think, okay, especially with recruiting. But what I didn't realize until this week, and I just asked Barry about his relationship with Matt, not knowing, you know, that they were super close, was was back in 1998, after Barry's junior year at Missouri, and right after Matt's uh, senior year at Ole Miss. You know, they were both chosen by their schools to uh, to attend this week-long NCAA youth clinic in Phoenix that was associated with the Fiesta Bowl. And they got to be pretty good friends there. They, they stayed in touch after that. While they're there, um, they kind of talked to each other, hey, what do you want to do after college? What do you want to do? Well, they neither of them you know, played pro football. They both wanted to get in coaching. They, they knew that's what they wanted to do. And lo and behold, here we are 21 years later, and they're not just coaching in the SEC against each other. They're coaching at their alma maters, which is you know, something I'm sure every 22-year-old college football player who wants to get into coaching would dream of doing but so few you know get that opportunity and here they are you know getting that chance it's uh it, it's pretty crazy how how you know the coaching world works sometimes and um you know two guys that i think have a, just a lot in common and and uh, you know even they're they're pretty close in age i think matt is exactly four weeks older than Barry. Um, so, yeah, this is a, a, another kind of a, a rich storyline here. Part of two teams that don't play each other very much because of this wacky scheduling, you know, philosophy they have in the SEC. Yeah, and probably good for Missouri that they're not going to play Ole Miss much moving forward after this one because if you look at this team and the amount of young players that are scoring points for this team, I think like 
something like ridiculous amount of percentage of their points have been scored by freshmen. They're starting a ton of freshmen. Yeah. They're freshmen making big plays all across the field. This team, it, it, looking at Ole Miss and projecting it out, I think you're going to feel pretty good about about what Matt Luke's got going in Oxford, and and in some ways the same thing about Odom. I and mean, when you look at what he's done, if you look at his overall record and compare it to some of the teams in the SEC, and and look at really since he turned it, since he flipped it, and and what's happened in the past 25 games or so, I think these are two programs that are led by two guys who are buddies that can both feel pretty good about the direction they're headed in. Yeah, this year for Ole Miss, the the postseason ban is off. It's huge for them to get to a bowl game, no matter which one it is. And I still think that might be hard to do. They, they're at they're three and three right now. They still play New Mexico State. Give them the fourth win there. They're going to have to upset two teams in the SEC going forward to get to six wins. And they still play, obviously Missouri. Then they get Texas A&M at home. Um, that's a winnable game. They go to Auburn. Uh, they get LSU at home, and then they have the Egg Bowl against Mississippi State. So now you could maybe find two wins in there, but they'll probably be an underdog in each one. Two predictions before we run here. I want your thoughts on on this game. I, I think I pick Missouri to win, but but I don't. I think that I don't give them. I don't trust them with the spread just because there's so much unknown, and because um, because the kind of the unique offense that Ole Miss has and the 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 question mark defense Missouri's got with Garrett out. That's that's my the way I see it shaking out. What do you, what do you think is going to happen on Saturday? I'm with you. Um, although Missouri is covered in every win they've had this year, okay. and every week I go into it thinking, oh, they'll win this game, but I don't know if they'll, <laughs> they'll you know hit that right, number, right. and they end up doing it. Um, and without having to really score in the second half either, they usually have the spread covered by halftime. Uh, but this week it is interesting. I think the first lines that came out were around eight points. And then once the news that Kelly Bryant was okay, it shot up to 12. But I think the Garrett injury could be you know, just as big, if not more so, of an impact in this one. So I'm with you. I think Missouri wins a closer game than, than those 12 points. Um, but it's, it's not going to be easy. Yeah, this has a shootout kind of written all over it for me. And let's see how Kelly Bryant plays too. The other prediction is the one I'm going to ask about all the time, you even more so than, than me, um, What's your vibe on, on the NCAA, Dave? I know that Jim Sterk hoped it would happen early this month. Um, he said that he's kind of been wondering, you know, obviously what day could it be on? And he, and he also said, look, there's no telling. It could be on a Friday right before a game. Um, there's right. really no rhyme or reason to what the NCAA does with this. You would think they would do it on like a Monday, but they don't care about how it affects the team. Um, any any rumblings, any sense of, of when this might be coming down uh, in Columbia? As of yesterday, and we're taping this on Thursday, so as of Wednesday, Missouri had not heard from anyone in Indianapolis at the NCAA, and the way this works is they expect to get a one-week's notice, not what the final ruling will be, but a one-week's notice to say, hey, today's Wednesday, next Wednesday we're going to put the ruling out. So they'll know for a week when it's coming. So that if everyone's being honest, that means the earliest we could find out would be next Thursday um, because as of Wednesday they hadn't heard from anything. And then Missouri will get a 24-hour notice of what the ruling will be. So Jim Sterk should have a pretty good idea of whether the ban will be upheld or not 24 hours before the NCAA makes that news official with a release. They generally do those in the morning and then have a, a conference call around noon central time whenever that happens. My prediction is it will all happen next Friday because I will be in a car driving to Nashville 
to cover the Vanderbilt game. And these things never happen at convenient times. So that's just, that's not based on any intel. That's just based on um, <laughs> how these things shake out and the dumb luck yeah. or bad luck that we have trying to write about these things. Totally. Yeah. So whenever you get to that point on your drive where there's like no cell phone service and there's not a gas <laughs> station within 30 miles, that'll be when it drops. So just bank on that, Mizzou fans. That will happen um, when Dave's on the road and, and can't get to a computer. And that's just the way it works in this business. So, um, yeah, that's good insight. I knew that Missouri got a 24-hour heads up on the verdict, but I hadn't. I, I guess I hadn't forget, had not read or or realized that they got a week in advance. So they will when they say, "Hey, it's, we don't know yet." They really they merely mean it unless they're unless they're fibbing. So we'll keep eyes on that, and of course have coverage of that when um, when it comes time to analyze it here on the podcast. We'll have coverage of the homecoming game as Missouri tries to really end this uh, in this kind of unprecedented home streak with an exclamation point. And if they do that, Dave, then I think they're going to feel pretty good about these two road games that are coming up. We'll get more into that next time here on the Eye on the Tigers podcast. Anything else before we run, Dave? I don't think so. It's uh, basketball's going to be here eventually, but it's still football mode, man. Yeah, absolutely. The weather is starting to, to change, and, and we'll get hoops here soon on the podcast, more and more of that. Um, but homecoming is all about football. Missouri does it right, and we'll see if uh, they can take care of business. A reminder for everybody who's found our podcast, first of all, thank you. Um, second of all, if you want to subscribe, do us a favor. Go to iTunes, go to Google, whatever you use for your podcast needs. Um, someone had asked about Stitcher. I know that our producer, Gary Harrelson, is working on that, so we hope to be up and running there soon. Until then, you can find us on iTunes. Go to stltcom slash podcast. You can subscribe there. Leave us a review. Give us a ranking. Let us know what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong, and we appreciate you taking the time to make us part of your podcasting. Um, if you're headed to the game, tailgating, whatever you're doing, however you're listening, thank you. Um, it helps us make this possible to keep doing it. So for Dave, I'm Ben. We will talk to you next week.